Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This is a weekly podcast with new episodes available every Sunday and Monday morning. The inspiration for this podcast was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider sponsoring this podcast with a monthly donation by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this podcast, Snake River Roasting Company, is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They roast award-winning coffees, and their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I started my morning with a cup of their Rome, Wyoming organic coffee blend. And if you're ready to fall in love with your coffee, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, snakeriverroastingco.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week, we are talking about making the transition from surviving to thriving. And I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately. And it might have something to do with the fact that since the beginning of March 2020, so many of us were thrown out of our normal routines and the lives that we carefully planned and cultivated were thrown into this intense apocalyptic fight or flight mode. It was survival mode, and there was deep uncertainty. And while I firmly believe that we are all still suspended in this liminal space, and there is still so much uncertainty and change ahead of us, I know that for our own survival, so many of us are doing our best to create or adapt to the new normal. And I hear so many people in my life saying that, They want to go back to the way things were. They desperately want the freedom to travel, the freedom to engage in their favorite activities, to sit in bars and restaurants, to have spontaneity and fearless social interactions. And then I hear other people speak about their acceptance of the way things are and the way things are changing and how they just want an ounce of consistency and normalcy, even if it wasn't what they had before. They just want to shift out of this contracted energy that we've been living in and step through the doorway into the next chapter in this very strange story that we are all in at the moment. And with that comes decision-making, change, and expansion. But how do we do this and make decisions from a place that is anchored in clarity and grounded energy when for most of the last two years, we have been living, working, trying to connect with people and making decisions in survival mode? Let's first check in with what actually happens 
during fight or flight. And I think that there are a lot of misconceptions out there. So I'm going to do my best to break it down simply and clearly. I am not talking about this like an expert. I always try to remind you of that. I'm talking to you and explaining this the way I would explain it to a friend. So our brain has a pretty big job to do, and that is to keep us safe. The autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. Now, they play an important role in bringing balance, alignment, and regulation to our body. They're also always monitoring threats to our safety and then immediately initiating a response. The sympathetic nervous system responds immediately to any perceived threat and is the one responsible for our arousal. So when this happens... We will experience an increase in respiration and blood flow to muscles that speed our ability to escape from danger. Now, this is known as activation of the fight or flight response. During fight or flight, the body becomes very alert to deal with any potential threat. But more importantly, all non-essential systems shut down to allow for more energy for emergency functions. A great example of that is if you are being chased by a bear, your body doesn't really care about digestion. So right away, things like digestion and immune systems shut down and peripheral vision and hearing are reduced. Even our blood begins to flow differently. What does that do? That allows our arteries and body core to hold up to twice as much blood. And that's the thing that causes our face or extremities to go white. This redirected blood flow has an important job to do as well because that prevents initial major blood loss during a trauma. Now, let's go back to the bear analogy. Say you get attacked by a bear and something happens to your hand, your foot, your leg. Your body is prepared before it happens. It's pulled all your blood to your core, so it has increased your chances of survival and escape. During fight or flight, blood also drains from the prefrontal cortex, which impacts rational thought and makes it virtually impossible to learn new things or focus on small tasks or engage with other people because the lower parts of the brain are focused on survival and just getting you away from danger. Now, why is that important? When we are in a state of high arousal, it is just not possible to establish or maintain successful relationships and communication with other people or to learn new things. You can apply that to maybe some of the state of mind that a lot of us have been in these last two years that almost no one is talking about. You know, how are we communicating and engaging in our relationships if we are in this fight or flight mode? Let's use the bear example. I used to live in Wyoming, and whenever friends came to visit me, they would want me to take them hiking in the Tetons, which I totally understood. It's amazing. It's a life-changing experience. It's so absurdly beautiful that I can't really put it into words. And there's a ton of wildlife. So before we would head out on a trail, I would always have them practice in my backyard 
to build muscle memory and teach them how to respond if we run into wildlife when we're in the mountains. And that would include how to announce that you've seen an animal. Now, in those situations, I would always encourage people, just shout out what the thing is. Just say bear, moose, mountain lion, wolf, (laughs) you know, any one of those. But there's no, um, you guys, I think I might see something that might kind of look like it might be a bear. (laughs) Now, it might not seem like a big deal, but just shouting out what the animal is and having everyone instantly alert can save your lives. I would also have them practice carrying, pulling out, and positioning bear spray. So why do we do this beforehand? Because most of us have never had to use bear spray. And when we are in the moment, we will probably not automatically know what to do, and we won't remember the instructions we might have looked at once because our brain is shutting down. And we can't integrate new tasks. So what I would have everyone do is practice reaching for the bear spray, immediately knowing where it is, pulling it out, and practicing. And everyone always thinks that it is a waste of time. Trust me, not a single person was like, oh, we should really do this. They were always like, why do I have to do that? That doesn't make any sense. Until we were being chased by a wild animal in the mountains. Hi, Jennifer, if you are listening. That was a wild experience. And I'm so glad we practiced everything before we went because we could barely think when we were in the moment. Now, I share that to clarify the difference between what it's like to try to learn something in fight or flight mode versus when we are just rested and relaxed. When we're rested and relaxed, we're like, oh, we're taking in new information. It's totally fine. That makes sense. I can do it. In fight or flight, we can almost not hear what people are telling us to do. Now, I want to encourage you to pause here and reflect for a moment on a time in your life when you were in fight or flight survival mode. And given the information I just shared with you, how do you now see that it impacted your ability to function in the moment? And even before March 2020, we all knew people who existed in a constant state of fight or flight. But maybe what we didn't realize was the extent of the physical, mental, and emotional impact that it was having on them. These are people who may be experiencing intense PTSD or anxiety. And you can see now that they're not able to be fully present. They might be struggling in social situations, in professional settings, in their relationships. They might be having a hard time learning, and social development becomes almost virtually impossible. I personally struggled with severe complex PTSD for many, many years, and I've spoken about it on this podcast before, and I can tell you that I was pretty much fighting for my life every single day despite no longer being in danger. And it was such a challenge to communicate that with people because I didn't even know what was happening or I wouldn't allow myself to accept that this was what was happening or I would share it with someone and they would say, but you're fine now. (laughs) So reflecting back, I can see why so many things that I deemed as easy or basic tasks were so difficult and out of reach for me at the time. 
Alternately, the parasympathetic nervous system is active when the brain perceives that we are safe. It helps us to calm and connect as it lowers blood pressure, it slows respiration, conserves our energy, and improves immune function, digestion, and wound recovery. When the parasympathetic nervous system is engaged, we have access to our whole brain. This includes the frontal lobes and prefrontal cortex, responsible for planning, evaluation, and conscious thought. This is what makes us who we are. It's what makes us human. We begin to have access to rational thought, to focus, imagination, executive functioning, socialization, and language. So why is all of this important as we are exploring how to shift from surviving to thriving? Whether that is a direct result from all that has gone on in the world around us during the last two years, or whether it has to do with things happening in our personal and professional lives, or a complicated combination of all of that. Well, so often we receive very well-meaning, but very often not helpful feedback or unsolicited advice from people who are not taking these things into account. They're not realizing what is happening in our body and brain when we are in survival mode. This is not something we can dominate. We cannot muscle through our brain's functioning. And that is a very important part of this because it's not about people just toughening up. It's about honoring what's actually going on in our body. It's very informative. Many people advise us to take a top-down approach when we are struggling in fight or flight. They say things like, You have to relax, or you just have to calm down, or you have to pick up this new skill or practice or try this new thing or just talk to someone about whatever is bothering you. Again, all very well-meaning advice because for the person who is not in survival mode, who is not in fight or flight, that seems like it would help them. So they're thinking that's the obvious solution for this other person. But what might actually support us more in these moments is taking a bottom-up approach to regulation and realignment. And that means engaging in activities that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and actively use the body to calm the nervous system and shut down the fight-or-flight response. But what might actually support us more in these moments is taking a bottom-up approach to regulation and realignment. Engaging in activities that activate the parasympathetic nervous system and actively use the body to calm the nervous system and shut down the fight-or-flight response. Not by bullying, (laughs) but by inviting. There's a big difference. So what would that look like in our lives? And if you've ever had a dog, and I'm sure that there's tons of dog owners listening, you know that when they get into a tussle or a fight with another animal, they have to shake it off afterwards. They do this strange jiggly dance, almost as if they're shivering. Now, why do they do this? 
Most likely, it's their parasympathetic nervous system bringing them back into their body. You can't talk your dog into being calm after a fight, but they can begin to self-soothe by using their own bodies and moving around energy. Now, so many professionals in the traumatic stress field, therapists who work specifically with PTSD and trauma, are very skeptical of a bottom-up approach, and I completely understand that. I am not sharing it here to replace top-down interventions such as psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, support groups, or journaling. I'm not replacing anything. I actually think all of those things are so wonderful and useful. But what I'm talking about here is what would the impact be of reordering how we do things? Initial bottom-up interventions might open the door to top-down processing, which for some of us might ultimately be more impactful. We ultimately want to resolve symptoms of post-traumatic stress or fight or flight or to move out of survival mode. And I don't believe that there is just one way to do it. And that might be an issue that comes up in the current pop psychology world where everyone is putting out these very polarizing statements that look really good in an Instagram post but they lack the nuance because we are not all the same person. For some of us, a bottom-up approach followed by a top-down approach might really be the thing that changes everything for us. And I also want to share about this because we don't all have access to weekly individual therapy. Let's be honest, that is a privilege to be able to access that. But what we do have access to are bottom-up techniques that we can begin integrating into our lives without any other tools, without paying for anything. These are things that we can do every single day to support ourselves. So a bottom-up approach to trauma and fight-or-flight or survival mode aims to undo trauma's imprint on the body by directly accessing the limbic system. That is the feeling center of the brain. And by directly targeting sensory receptors located throughout the body and regulating and adjusting the visceral responses associated with trauma and survival mode. And four ways to do this are exercise, rhythmic movement, deep, relaxed, diaphragmatic breathing, and synchronicity between breathing and our heart rate. And again, I'm not sharing this because I believe that this should replace therapy. I want to be very clear about that, especially as someone who has had to go through all of this myself. I'm sharing it because it is interesting to see how this supports us in therapy. And sometimes I find that speaking to practitioners on either side of the coin, the traditional talk therapists or the alternative somatic practitioners, that sometimes there is an all-or-nothing approach. I recently interviewed with an organization that promotes a very alternative type of healing, and their messaging kept being, we are better than X. We can replace X. And it just rubbed me the wrong way because, there, again, there's not just one thing for everyone. 
All of these things can be in our toolkit. This is wraparound healing that we're talking about, and that is so powerful and so sustainable. And I know that for me, one of the greatest lessons in my life about shifting from surviving to thriving came during my time volunteering as a yin yoga instructor for 12-step open AA meetings. In these classes, which I usually taught seven nights a week, a group of people involved with 12-step programs, any 12-step program, not just an AA meeting. It could be Sex Addicts, Debtors Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous, Al-Anon, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Everyone was welcome. And they would have a quote-unquote meeting at a yoga studio after hours. The instructor, me, would lead the class in a 45-minute yin yoga practice while also talking about the alignment between yoga and recovery programs and principles. After the practice, everyone would sit in a circle and we would hold a traditional 12-step meeting for 45 minutes with everyone sharing for about three minutes on the topic that I had explored during the yoga class. So why is this important? Why did it leave such a mark on me? Because I witnessed firsthand people who were normally completely silent in meetings suddenly open up, and I mean open, like floodgates open, tears flowing, words spilling out, laughing, just really showing up as their full selves and sharing things that they usually held close to their heart. And one of the things that they would say most often is, I know I've heard someone say what you said in the meeting like 20 times before. I've read that chapter. I've read those pages, but I heard it differently while I was practicing yoga. And I really understood the power of this bottom-up technique when I would be doing this volunteering and teaching a class of 35 people. And at least 10 of the people in the class would be men in their 50s or 60s from a local sober living who only came to the meeting because someone told them that it would be an easy one that they could zone out in and just like lay on their yoga mat. But there they were a few minutes into the class openly crying in child's pose and hearing the steps and the principles of 12-step programs being spoken about in a completely different way by me as I lead the class. Now, why are they hearing it differently? It's not because I'm so special or because I said anything so revolutionary. It's because they were completely in their bodies in a safe way for the first time in so long. They were moving out of survival mode. Their parasympathetic nervous system was engaged and they could finally take information in. Yin yoga is unique because we do not engage muscles during the practice. Instead, we focus on the connective tissue of the body and we also hold postures for about four minutes. So that means that the posture that you begin with is not the posture you have at the end of your four minutes. The entire practice is about softening and relaxing the body. And no one ever shows us how to do that in the world or talks to us about it and why it's so important and how it helps self-regulation. 
So people would come to this class. And again, it's not even that like I'm doing anything so special. They're just hearing me read about these things they've heard in a million other meetings and it's hitting them differently because they're soft, they're safe, they're relaxed, and they're really taking it in for what feels like the first time, which is why meetings being set up that way was so profound and life-changing for so many people. And that's just one example that I can give of how this works. And we don't all have access to this type of class either. So what are some things that we can do where we are with what we have to let our body know that we no longer have to exist in survival mode? That it's time to recognize that we have all that we need, that we are safe, and we can thrive. What can we do to activate the parasympathetic nervous system? Some things that help me and that I would recommend to anyone else are the following. One, take an inventory of stressors and purge what you don't need. And don't overthink it. And I think the not overthinking it is the big part. I do this by really asking myself if this thing that is causing me stress is helping my life in some way, or is it just a distraction? What would happen if I let it go? And I like to think of this as active decompression. Number two, simplifying my life. And that looks different for everyone. I'll use myself as an example, though. Simplifying my life means making small, everyday changes, making the bed as soon as I wake up, washing the dishes right after I eat, setting up my coffee for the next morning, picking out my clothes the night before, food prepping for lunch so that I know I'll have a balanced and nutritious meal every day of the week, writing out a to-do list at the beginning of each week so nothing takes me by surprise. And it's incredible how all of these small tweaks save us so much time and energy and we don't activate that fight or flight survival mode because everything is sort of flowing. Number three, find a way to be in your body joyfully. Now I have no idea what that means for you. That could be exercise, yoga, dry brushing, hot baths, abhyanga oil treatments and massages. It could be dancing Anything that takes you out of your intellectual brain and drops you into your body, into feeling, into spatial awareness and energy. In particular, if you are dealing with grief or trauma, I find that starting something completely new, an activity you've never done before, can be so healing and helpful because you have no memories or past selves that you associate with this activity. So it helps to bring you into the present moment. Number four, aligning breath with movement. And I really wanted to touch on this because I've seen people experience real transformation when integrating any kind of breath work into their healing practice. My friend Anna Lilia is an incredible breathwork instructor, and she hosts gatherings, retreats, and even a weekly donation-based online breathwork class that you should definitely check out. You can always send me a DM and I will share the information with you. And finally, number five, 
consciously allowing ourselves to enjoy the good. And this almost sounds like a given, but believe me, it is not. How often do we not allow ourselves to enjoy good news, good feelings, or good fortune? The point here is to make the unconscious conscious by continually asking ourselves, am I bracing for impact? How can I receive this energy in a softer way? How can I allow myself to feel more joy? To relax, to be where my feet are, to be in alignment with who I am, where I am, and what I'm doing. I hope that this episode has helped you to feel safer and more understood and supported during this transition from surviving to thriving. I know that I have had to check in with myself a lot lately as I transition out of survival mode, and you would think it would be easy or welcome or that we would automatically know how to do it. I have spent so much time and energy being strong during moments of loss and crisis throughout my whole life, but especially these last two years, that I'm finding that it's hard to even remember how to be soft and relaxed during moments of abundance and joy. This morning during my prayer and meditation, when I said out loud, relieve me of the bondage of self, I was specifically referring to my inability to relax and receive good things. So if you're right there with me, just know that you are not alone. Until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram and TikTok for daily journal prompts at love letters and mixtapes. If you enjoy this episode, consider making a monthly donation to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.